Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter and this is the Badass Women's Hour. First things first, this is the penultimate show. I know, how has it happened so fast? But it hasn't really. Badass Women's Hour has been going for five years and even the very best of things have to come to an end. But before that happens, I have a truly badass guest for you. This week, she is Rabina Khan and she is just energy, excitement, enthusiasm and courage rolled into one amazing woman. Plus, if you stay around for next week's show, we're reuniting the original Badass Women's Hour. So really, it's a lot of badass women coming up in the next two weeks. But this week, I want to talk first about Freedom Day. So on Monday this week, allegedly, we all became incredibly free. Now, if I'm being totally honest, I slightly lost track of all the various government mandate stipulations, rule changes a while ago. So I'm not quite sure exactly what Freedom Day in the UK really means. I thought it meant the lifting of all restrictions across the UK, but that's definitely not happening in Scotland. Doesn't seem to be happening in Wales. And I've just been into a shop with my mask on. But I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about some of the things that have come up for me in the weeks running up to today in case they've come up for you too. So the first thing that I really noticed was that I have become obsessively health conscious. If you listened to the show a few weeks ago, you might have realised that I had a bit of a cold. It's the first one that I've had in 18 months and I have been horrified by it. I haven't actually had to deal with anything like that for a while and it's made me very aware of, I guess, the value and also the fragility of my own body. And I think that makes all of us nervous. We've been in a period where for 18 months we have had to question our own safety, our own health, and whether or not we can in fact be truly responsible for our own lives and, I guess, just the state of our body. Um, So it's unsurprising if you're feeling a bit nervous about the whole thing that you feel that way, all right? right? Why wouldn't you? You've been told to worry about your health like there is no tomorrow for 18 months most of us would feel a little bit concerned. And so I guess the way I've looked at it is that it's okay for me to feel like that, that stuff will come along that maybe will challenge that feeling or I'll forget about it a little bit or maybe I'll come home one day and I'll have run out of hand wash and I won't worry about it for half an hour or so rather than going straight to the shops. But it will probably ease as we go. So while you might feel really strongly about that right now, know that it's okay if in a week's time you do forget your mask when you walk to the shop. You are okay. Don't feel like you're doing a terrible thing. Don't beat yourself up if your mind changes or you can't find a decision to stick to right now. Because that's the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is how much it feels like people are very much on one side or the other of this debate. I am really not. I sit very squarely in the camp of 
I don't know. And so I'm just going with what feels right for me. So if you feel strongly, that's great. But as my English teacher told me when I was seven years old and I said I wanted to be a vet, it's okay to change your mind because as you go down, things will change. Ideas will change. And perhaps you'll want to do things differently. Perhaps you will be stricter with your requirements. Perhaps you will be looser. It doesn't matter. What happens is that you listen to what's important for you and that we let other people listen to what's important for them. I know it might feel as though other people are doing things wrong, that they are in some way impinging on all of us by not making the same choices as you are, but who knows what choices we'll all be making tomorrow. And finally, it feels really um, potentious almost to call this Freedom Day, to put this pressure on it. Like when you have a really big birthday and you've organised something really special and then you get to the day and it rains and people forget and you don't like your presents and you end up crying. It's just too much pressure to put on one day. I think we need to let this one go. Let's not have Freedom Day. Let's have Freedom Year. Let's spend a year easing ourselves back into it gently, working out what works for us, letting other people do the same, and hopefully not adding to the pressure we're already feeling. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Someone who knows all about the judgments of others and just how to handle them is Councillor Rabina Khan. From fielding off questions about the colour of her hair to campaigning for more women in politics, she's never afraid to stand up for what she believes in. She tells me how she came to be that way. Hi, hello, Harriet. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming back on. So your new book is called My Hair is Pink Under This Veil. Tell us yes, where the title comes from. It is, it's... I'm often asked that question. So the, the book was conceived in order to intrigue um, a certain person who asked me what colour my hair was under my um, veil. And I stood in a, a very tense election in 2015. And this gentleman asked me the question. So I said it was pink. Um, I obviously didn't say to him what colour his hair was um, before he became bored because I thought that would be too insensitive and I just wanted to go down that road but yes I did ask him that and it was also to quash um, any notion that he might have that Muslim women didn't have any interest in hairstyles or any kind of interest in fashion so he could get an idea that actually I could respond back to him with a sense of humour. Um, and diffuse that awkward situation. I love that story. It's so good. Um, so tell us, that's sort of the jumping off point from the book. Where did you want to go with it from that point on? I What I did was, after um, that interaction happened, I wrote an article for my Huffington Post blog called My Hair is Pink Under This Veil. And then I went on to deliver a lecture, um, a speech at Cambridge University, again, entitled My Hair is Pink Under This Veil. And what I wanted to do is talk to people who might necessarily have never interacted with a hijab-wearing woman, Muslim woman, about why she's chosen to wear the scarf and why she feels that it's important to make sure that she has representations of her identity, of the fact that there are so many stereotypes um, that have happened. In particular, post-19, yeah. um, there's been a long-standing controversy, uh, controversy around the veil. So debates have tended to frame Muslim women, their culture and their veils, either seen as symbols of oppression or some kind of Islamic fundamentalist. And actually, 30 years on, all these years later, we have now looked to see that Muslim women are building um, the hijab and the veil as a form of identity, but they've also built a massive fashion industry around it as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think this is so interesting and we just don't 
unless you are a Muslim woman living in Britain and you are part of that kind of fashion trends, you don't know about it. Tell us a little bit about how it's actually created this whole industry. It's created an industry because there are, I think, about 3.3 million Muslims living in um, the UK as we speak. And I also know that um, Forbes have said that there's £500 billion worth of dollars um, that the modest um, wear and the veil have contributed worldwide. And what it's showing is that there are so many social Instagram influencers who take pride in what they wear. They wear different veils. I've got a daughter who wears the veil and she's got all different types of veils. She'll pick one for me and then, you know, she will help me, you know, tell me what will go with my with my outfits as well. And it's it's showing that after all these years of um, that post 9-11 um, uh, that that concept of making us targets and we have been named yeah. things as letterboxes and bank robbers from Jack Straw referring to the fact that he didn't want to speak to a woman who was veiled that suspicion and exclusion and that othering what we have done is we have built ourselves a name and identity young girls and Muslim women who've gone out there and have said that we are here we're doctors we're lawyers, we're teachers, we have a sense of identity and we can embrace both being British, Muslim and what our ethnic backgrounds are as well. What does it mean for you to be a British Muslim woman? For me, what it means is that, and I I look back on this, I came to this country in 1975. I was Mm. the only child of colour in the school that I went to at the time. My family were the only family of colour on the street we lived in, in Rochester, Kent. And for me, my father, and, and I think about this, when people say, what is Britishness? For me, for my father, it was making sure he was very loyal to this country, the fact that he would refuse us to um, entertain any notion of moving from British telecom, British gas, <laughs> British electricity. He even made sure that my father, my brother, when he bought his first car, was bored. <laughs> so it was, it was that concept of, of being connected to a country that he called home. And so for me as a British woman, it's the concept of making sure that we're both proud to be British, hold on to our all different identities of being Muslim, of for me being Bangladeshi, and being able to embrace everything that's great about this country, our rich diversity and the vibrant people that we have living here. Do you think that kind of, that embracing of the whole of what Britain is, is what led you into politics? I think so, but also the fact that I have a great belief and a great principle of standing up for people, making sure that I can voice the concerns of often marginalised people. And I mean, recently I've been um, talking about the fact that while we've had um, a great big debate about domestic violence during the pandemic and the peak that it's got to, my concern has been that the pandemic did see an increase of domestic violence, but what it didn't embrace and include in that debate was the fact that many marginalised women from black and Asian and ethnic minority communities have been left behind during the pandemic who have faced domestic violence hugely and haven't been talked about. And I I say this because I I touch on this in my book about feminism. Mm -hmm. I do believe that white feminism has left behind women of colour and that actually we have been led more than the fact that we should be on the same platform. And our experiences as women from Muslim backgrounds, um, black or Asian ethnic backgrounds, are are experiences of feminism is very different to white feminism. 
can you tell me a little bit more about that like your experiences of feminism and how perhaps we need to kind of open it up more to hear more of those stories well for example i will see the fact that i've grown up I said to you that I was the only child of colour at the time in my school. I never saw pictures of myself or someone who looked like me in books. Um, I remember the Janet and John books. Janet was um, Janet was white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and John was, you know, blonde and blue-eyed. And it was always these conjugal roles. I never saw anyone like myself. And the first time that I thought. I could relate to someone like myself was when I studied Pocahontas at school because basically she was a Native American who had a similar colour to myself. Um, My experiences of going into trying to find makeup and I still remember going to the um, orders at the time and trying on the makeup at the age of 15, 14, 15, dabbling in the makeup and the makeup didn't suit me because it didn't go with my colour. It was obviously tailored for paler skin. And now we're in a time where that's, um, you know, there's a huge makeup and cosmetic industry that caters for women of colour. Mm. Um, so that, that, that needs to be talked about. Our experiences of women of colour will be very different when we access maternity services, mm-hmm. when we access NHS services. The fact that, um, for example, um, the government's race report identified that um, young Bangladeshi, Pakistani um, young people were doing well but actually that doesn't translate into the workplace so whilst they're doing very well at a levels and degrees it doesn't actually get translate into the workplace so those experiences are really really important in making sure that the feminist debate embraces our experiences if we look at the me too campaign i never really saw very much about the debate around muslim women their experiences of islamophobia or more so of women of colour, what's happening to them. And that experience is just as important. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you think, and I know I've spoken to... um to Nimco Ali, who does a lot on domestic violence and FGM, 
on this yes. before and she said you know one of the things that frustrated her was that she felt like a lot of people on the political left didn't want to go near the topic of FGM because they felt it was sort of politically incorrect to criticize anyone from a uh, black or um, anyone from a black back- background as to what they did uh, if it came under the kind of auspices of part of our culture do you think that that sort of fear of being politically incorrect again people are using that as a blocker for not talking about these issues i think for me what is politically correct is to make sure women and young girls are safe that for me is fundamental and so if it means to safeguard and make sure that women are not being trafficked women are not being abused. I just mentioned um, Abida Kareem, who was murdered by her husband, 39 years of age. Um, And that, when I read that story, really, really saddened me because we've had a number of domestic violence cases in Tower Hamlets as well. And I believe that if we are going to help women in these communities, we do have to talk about their Mm. situations because we need to empower them, but we have to take them with us. We can't... We, we mustn't talk to women from these communities as though we're looking down on them. We've got to win their confidence and work with them. So during the pandemic, I supported um, a group of women who were um, in contact with women in domestic violence situations. And the way we spoke to these women in order to gain their trust was through Facebook and it was through lipstick colours. So one lipstick is red. Mm-hmm. So that would be danger, he's at home. Um, another one was a neutral colour, which is he's not at home. And so that was the way that we gained um, enough confidence to be able to help them to um, move on with their lives. And I, I talk about this in my book, about how years ago when I first came to Tower Hamlets, the very first time I helped a domestic violence case, I was about 22 years old at the time, and it was winter, and we went and my friend and I who worked for Tower Hamlet's Homeless Families Campaign, we had to help this woman and we basically went to her home and we took her with us and she had her baby and she had a little one as well and she'd had the little baby and she was holding the baby and they were simply barefoot by the time we were taking them out and it was cold and we got them into the taxi to leave. And I still remember that in my the image of the way we had wrapped her around in our own shawls to make sure that she could get to her um, a place of safety for her. And so I think in answer to your question, mm. yes, we do have to be very sensitive in trying to make sure that we protect and talk about the issues that affect women. But we have to make sure that women are safe. They have safe spaces and they have a right mm. to make sure that they can um, build a life for themselves. Do you think we're talking about it more now? Oh, yes, we we certainly are. And I, I think there's a range of um, reasons for that. That's because we have now more and more women like myself on their different platforms in political, um, public, play, public office, um, in senior positions who are enabling that conversation to happen. We're also seeing um, services which are more culturally sensitive and are appropriate to those mm-hmm. communities happening. And also I think there's a much more wider understanding the fact that you and I are having a conversation about this. That in itself will be something for people to talk about. Yeah. Um, and and I, I mean, for me, I have seen so many things in the last, you know, many years that I've lived in this country from the moment in, from one, in 1975 when I came to this country. My mother watching... Um, 
Mind Your Language, which was a programme in those days, to the programmes that have now changed. And it's, it's a blessing almost to watch that, how diverse we are becoming. I don't know whether or not we will be on an equal platform in my generation. I hope so, but I don't think we will. We still have a lot to go, a long way to go. What can white feminists do, do you think, to support women of colour better? I think I said this when I spoke to you just a little earlier that actually we should not, white feminists should not be leading us. We should be on the same platform. Yeah. We should be on the panels. We should be on the same um, discussions, the debates, on programmes. Um, and we will bring a different perspective to an argument and a debate that might not be seen. And also for me, myself, and I'm, I'm talking to you about race and equality and you know, the different um, issues that are faced by black and Asian and ethnic minority communities. But I'm also typecast into that certain debate. And in actual fact, I've got um, all these other areas that I would love to talk about, yeah. which is, for example, what I've been doing, to, for example, today, supporting leaseholders affected by the cladding scan, um, scandal. Yeah. The fact that I've been pushing forward for life sciences to be um, a big investment in my Mara. Um, all of these things are areas of expertise that we all have as, um, as women in different places. So we're not, sometimes black and Asian women are typecast just to talk about race, religion yeah. and faith. But in actual fact, we've all got this other areas of expertise and things that we have been really focusing on campaigning and accomplished and achieved, which we should yeah. be talking about and be at that table of discussion. I think that's so important. It's one of the things that I'm so aware of with this show, which is, how do we have these conversations like you and I are having right now, but also how do we make sure that that's not the only thing that we have women of colour on to talk about, that actually we have them on to talk about their own personal experiences, passions, interests, mm. professional careers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, finally, just, I guess, kind of on that, Rina, I wanted to ask you about your experiences of being a woman, specific, specifically a woman of colour, in politics, because we know that we don't have enough women at the political table right and we know that and I was talking about this earlier in the show we know that so many of the political decisions that are made impact women's lives more heavily sometimes than men's and yet they either get dismissed or the decisions get made for us when we are not in the room taking part in those decisions and I think some of that has to be because women who put themselves into the political arena seem to come in for a lot tougher time on social media in in the media in general what has been your experience of it and what would you tell young women thinking of doing it i mean i'm so glad you've asked that question harriet because the last few weeks has been very difficult for me and it's not been very nice not on the um, twitter aspect but actually on different whatsapp groups there was a referendum that happened in tower hamlets and there was a, a what the yes campaign were really moving hard and it was so difficult for me to hear on WhatsApp groups the way that certain people were talking about me. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that they do for any woman is to character assassinate them. Yeah. Um, and it's the kind of language where we'll teach her whether or not she becomes an MP or we'll see what she, you know, at the next election, we'll teach her a lesson and she won't be able to stand. That kind of language is disgraceful mm-hmm. because... You can disagree or agree with me. That's a different matter. But then to take it to another level on a WhatsApp group and to talk about these things, it's awful. 
It, yeah. And it affects not just women of colour, but it affects yeah. all women yeah. in politics. Yeah. And and I, I think for some reason in this country, that toxicity of women having to face it has to stop because it can really affect people's social and mental well-being. It can affect them in different ways. And I saw that in the last few weeks, which was awful, some of the things that I saw, and I didn't want my children to see it. Has it changed and how you feel about being in politics? Oh, no, it hasn't at all. It hasn't at all. It's just made me stronger because why should I not be in a platform that I'm passionate about? Why should I not be in public office? Why should a group of men decide what my future is in this country? I want to tell my story. I have the right to build my narrative and I will not stand, whether they are men from my community or from someone outside of the community, to talk about me in such a way that belittles me I won't allow it because why should I allow them to win? Because in the end, they will have won and I won't allow it because in the future, other young girls will be looking at towards me yeah. and other women who want to go forward in politics. I will have a man down as well. Ravina, you're so inspiring and I'm so glad it has only made you stronger. I'm not glad that you had to deal with it, but I'm glad it's only made you stronger and that we get to have your continued political presence because you make such a difference. So thank you for the work you you. do. And uh, My Hair is Pink Under This Veil is out now. It's great. It's funny and just brilliantly, pointedly on the money on pretty much everything. And I really enjoyed it, so I highly recommend it. And finally, it's our final listener question, and I couldn't not finish on this one. Here we go. My company has said they want everyone back in the office full-time from September the 2nd. I just can't be asked. I want to keep my flexible hours and lack of commute. Should I just quit? I love this. Um, I love someone who knows what they do and don't want from their working environment. Well done, you. Yes, in short, you should quit. Any company that is just issuing a diktat at this point is not listening to the fact that really right now, it's an employee's market. You can dictate what you want. But the longer answer is a little bit more complicated. So yes, it's an employee's market, but it's an employee's market right now. And that will change. And there will come a point where you will be desperate for a job because we all do. All of our working lives go through stages and ebbs and flows where we've got loads of work and then none. So just realise that that might come a time where you look back at this company and think how much you liked them and how happy you were to work there. So I would just take a bit of inventory right now. Why have you worked for this company? What did you like about it? Why did you join them in the first place? What do you like about the job? All of that. If you're happy with all of that, then I would think about having a really honest conversation with them and seeing what you can do. While I'm sure that there will be company policies, I'm also sure there should be flexibility. So have that chat first. If there's no flexibility, then yes, by all means, know that you can put your shoes on and leave whenever you want. You can, as they say, vote with your feet. But just know that August is a slow month. So if it feels like there's nothing around right now, don't worry. Things will pick up. You don't know what will happen by September. Quite frankly, we could all be back in lockdown, couldn't we? So who knows what September will bring? Go into this gently and without feeling like you have to make firm decisions right now. And then finally, I would say, if what you want is to continue working from home permanently, you might find it's a bit harder to get a job that allows you to do that. While we're seeing more and more companies go into a hybrid working place, very few of them are actually going fully remote. And I think trying to find a job which allows you to be fully remote the entire time could be quite difficult. But perhaps you want to look at companies that are based closer to you so you can cut down on that commute. 
Perhaps you want to look at companies where you're required to be in the office for fewer days. Um, or maybe you want to look at going self-employed. Just think really carefully about that one. But whatever it is, don't limit yourself to having to have the answer right now. There are lots of different options coming up as we go. Lots of different companies doing different things. Lots of different ways of working coming through. So this definitely isn't settled yet. And of course, you can always read my book, WFH, How to Build a Career You Love When You're Not in the Office, which has a chapter on how to talk to your boss about just this. That's all for our penultimate show here at Badass Women's Hour. Just a reminder that if you love the show and you quite like me, you can come and find me on social at Harriet Minter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all of the socials. And I have a new little project coming in the autumn. Uh, so stay tuned for more of that. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more Badass Guests and in-depth chat. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 